let's continue with our second to last study here in the book of First Peter. We're going to be there in chapter 5. And as I look over this passage, I couldn't help but realize that old people, I just saw like foreheads snap up. I was waiting for it. I paused. Here's them. What are we talking about? Hey. And young people, whatever age brackets you would like to put around those terms, have some very interesting opinions about each other. And it's not to say that they are all true all the time going in either direction, but there is certainly some truth to some of what we might call stereotypes. I was perusing around different opinions, and younger people, when asked about the elderly or the old, the decrepit, the aging, the fragile, um, those with one foot in the grave, uh, individuals who are perhaps nearing their shelf life. Uh, and here's what they had to say. Say, what do you think about those that are advanced in age? Well, many young people have in attitude of shrugging their shoulders. You know, why should I care unless it's my grandmother, my grandfather, someone that is already beloved to me, they're indifferent. You think you're uncool, unrelatable, grumpy, immobile, stooped over. But when you talk about the young, the younger folk, the vibrant, the fresh, those with taut skin. <laughs> they can appear to previous generations ignorant, rude. They lack common sense. They have the wrong priorities. They're just altogether pretty green. And like I said, and I'll say it again, those things aren't all true all the time. They're not never true none of the time. I think the bottom line is both older generations and younger generations would agree that they are not like us. Whatever side of the fence you're standing on, both sides of the spectrum would say they are just not like us. And in some sense, I think this has always been the case. There are certain inverse relationships that happen with age. We grow in wisdom. We grow in experience. No matter what that experience is, by virtue of being alive longer, we will grow in experience. But our physical abilities decline, some at many different rates. We often grow in wealth and freedom, but other priorities we might have, uh, dreams or 
willingness to take risk, ability to start something new, they have a tendency to decline. And there's nothing wrong with any of those. And it has always been the case. It's just built into the clock of our bodies. It's how living works. But these days, with the advances in technology, I think that a difference that has always manifested itself throughout all the generations has become extremely inflated. So many of the things that are key to those in the younger generations did not even exist in the times of their grandparents or great-grandparents. So when one side finds the other unrelatable, if we rewind 500 years, the advances in technology that would take place in the span of 100 years was not a, a tenth, not a fiftieth of what we experience today. Think of the technology that we have now that we didn't have 100 or 80 or 70 or even 60 years ago. So although this difference has always been a thing, it's been one of the things in relationships that we need to navigate around even more so, I think, as it highlighted. But scripture speaks to these relationships. And we will start in verse 1 of 1 Peter chapter 5. The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. A couple things that I'd like to point out. The first there, the elders who are among you. You see, we often think of elder as a church office. And it is, and we'll talk about that in verse 2. But this Greek word, and there's a different word that Peter uses here in verse 1 and verse 2, simply means aged. It's referencing physical age. But when it talks about the elders, it's also important to note that all throughout Scripture, it's never used singularly. And we see that especially with respect to the office of elders. But those that have come from a previous generation, those that are more advanced in age, they're always referenced together. And I think that is a sign of, of honor, of respect, sort of having, having earned or worn the badge of life experience. But the word there is presbyteros, older person. And Peter there says that he is a co-presbyteros, a fellow elder. This is the only thing Peter claims to be. There are certain parts of Christianity that may teach otherwise of Peter, as him being the first pope or the line of uh, papal succession, the beginning of that line. 
If that was the case, no one ever told Peter. That is all he ever claims to be, is a fellow elder. And then he sort of sets out these brackets as he qualifies that statement. And, and notice how he doesn't appeal to them as an apostle, which he was. He doesn't feel like he has to put his foot down and claim authority, but hey, to the elders of the church, I'm one of you. I've seen the sufferings of Christ. I witnessed Christ going to the cross. Many people like to debate as to whether after denying Jesus, Peter actually made it back to physically witness the crucifixion, or if he just watched his arrest and trial and persecution before the high priest. It's a fun argument, but I don't think it makes a difference. He saw Christ suffer. And he also says, I'm a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. And this is referencing to when Peter viewed the transfiguration. So he's seen both ends of the spectrum. He's got quite a field of perception. And isn't that one of the benefits of being an elder? The more you see, the more you know, just by virtue of being able to put things in brackets. So I think that's interesting how Peter there says, I saw Christ here and I saw Christ here. I'm, I'm, I'm one of you. I've seen some things. And I exhort you. I plead with you. Verse 2. Here's what he pleads. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. You see, a shepherd has two jobs. They feed the sheep and they tend the sheep. Now, how are sheep fed? Not sheep, sheep, us sheep. I've gone weird. Ethan's looking at me. He's been in some youth message where I said way too much about sheep. <laughs> Go ahead. It's sitting in your lap. How are we the sheep fed? And this is when everybody said, okay, that's when nobody said the Bible. Oh, man, okay. Well, I'm just going to... So, two weeks ago, Peter said, we grow by the... All right, all right, you're not going to wake up. That's fine, I'll keep going. A shepherd has two jobs. They feed the sheep and they tend the sheep. Sheep are fed by the word of God. So elders, as they shepherd the flock among them, the word of God needs to be central. Experience is not enough. You can't be a shepherd having just seen a lot of acts play out. You can't be a shepherd because you've lived through a lot. In order to shepherd the flock of God in any way, you need to have the heart of God and convey that through the word of God. And they also tend the sheep. They protect, they guide, and they nurture. It might seem weird in the context of a church, but any of you who are grandparents, think of the things you want to do for your grandchildren. You want to protect them. You want to stop them from making mistakes that they haven't made yet. 
You want to guide them. You want to open up new experiences, but within reason and within control, you want to nurture them. You want to be there for all the moments and, and see them grow. And there Peter says, serving as overseers. And there is the word episkopos. And that's where we get the church office. The church office as XYZ is an elder at this church. And I think both can be true. And Peter, the two can be married, but they do not have to be. I am an elder at this church. But some of you are older than me. Most of the elders are older than me. Pastor Juan was an elder at this church. Because an elder is a man who is mature in faith and not only possesses the qualifications of being an elder, but also does the work. Let's flip over to 1 Timothy 3.7. An elder... An elder is someone who has the qualifications and does the work. We find qualifications for elders in two places in Scripture. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. I'm going to rewind. That's where I wanted to stop, not start. First uh, Timothy 3, we'll start in verse 1. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, that's the same word used or translated overseer in our passage there in verse 2. Bishop, overseer, same word, elder, synonymous in many contexts. He desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, not w or one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. We also find additional qualifications in Titus. But we'll move on for now. And specifically within the context of this church, you might ask, well, how does one become an elder? There's not a sign-up sheet. There's not an interview. There's not a formal trial process or vote. You are, we, we, we say it this way. Someone is an elder when they're elding. Is that how we say it? Who's been in the room where we've said that? Okay, thank you. There's like five people back there with your hands up, with their hands up. I'm not just, I say a lot of crazy stuff. That's not one of them. It becomes so evident within the church when a mature believer meets these qualifications and is doing the work, is doing the job. 
It's everything is in is an interview. They're just kind of like walked in and nobody gave them an apron, but they started making hamburgers. And then you're like, person looks like a chef. But okay, they're a chef. Yeah, they're in the kitchen. They have the spatula. They're making hamburgers. I don't care if anybody gave them a name tag or not. You're an elder when you're elding. And then in this church, after that has gone on so long, we all of the other elders, we look around at each other and we're like, so-and-so's like an elder, yeah? Yeah, of course. I didn't even realize they weren't. And then we get out all the fancy stamps. No, we don't have any fancy stamps. That's as far as it goes. I closed that. I need that. So what do you mean doing the work? Not only doing, fulfilling those responsibilities that we see in the the job title of a shepherd, feeding the sheep and tending to the sheep, but it's also about the way that they do it. And Peter gives elders exhortations here. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, being elders, not by compulsion, but willingly. That's what we talk about. Nobody, we don't want to create elders by walking around and say, hey, if you complete this checklist, then you can be an elder. But mature believers that are filled with the word of God and are fueled by his passion should know their word and would want to do this. Not to be an elder, but because of the love they have for Jesus and the plan that Christ has for their lives, it just pours out. You know, what happens, why does water come out of a glass when you knock over a glass of water? Because water was in the glass. Not because you knocked it over, it's just a matter of time. What you put in comes out. So when this individual is filled with Christ's heart, with the heart of the good shepherd, it's gonna come out. It's gonna make itself evident because they do so willingly, not of compulsion. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. It's interesting that so much, so many of the exhortations that Peter gives to elders here are just reflections of Christ's character to us. Jesus is our Lord, yet he does not lord over us. He came and he set the example. How are we to lead as believers, as Christians, as elders in the church? Well, the example we have is in John 13. Washing feet. That the servant of all, that the first would be last and the last would be first that we would meet the qualifications that represent a mature, rich walk with the Lord and that we would do the work. Why? Not for money's sake, not for power's sake, but for the Lord's sake. And it says, And when the chief shepherd appears in verse 4, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. You know, the only thing I want to touch on there, our God is a rewarding God. I think a lot of times we have a tendency to shy away from that because I don't want to 
rub up too close against the, the tragedy that the prosperity gospel has been. But our Lord is so rich and so generous and sees and rewards all and is the giver of every good and perfect gift that when we get to these points in Scripture, whether we're talking about elders, whether we're talking about mothers, whether we're talking about um, children or teachers or janitors or mailmen, our God is a rewarding God. He loves to give. He loves to give. And here we see that that is evident even in eternity, that we would receive a crown for answering this call to shepherd the flock of God that is among us, that we might be able to take that crown, that crown of glory, and throw it on the glassy sea at Jesus' feet. Our God sees all, and He rewards. It's important to remember that. It is. Positive positive reinforcement and, and, and praise. Yes, we should do it all for Christ's sake and because the love of Christ just so compels us. That's not always the case. We're not that perfect. We're still sort of wrapped up in our flesh. Sometimes it helps to almost selfishly remember that we, we are rewarded. We don't do it for the reward. But that does not mean we aren't rewarded. When, you, when I, was, I was thinking about that they don't do it for dishonest gain, what makes a gain dishonest? A gain is dishonest when the gain is the reason for doing the work. When we do the work and receive for it, that's honest gain. But when we do the work for what we will receive, that's dishonest gain. That's putting the cart before the horse. It's the difference between an employee and a fiduciary or a manager or a CEO. An employee shows up to put in their 60 minutes to get the paycheck. A manager, a fiduciary, is responsible for always having the organization's best interest in mind. Legally, they are. If you're of a certain level in the organizational structure and up, you are legally responsible to whether you are on the clock, off the clock, in your home, out of your home, at the workplace, away from the workplace, put the best interest of the organization ahead of your own. Doctors are fiduciaries. Lawyers are fiduciaries. It is their responsibility to put the interests of the other person first. And that's how we're called to act within the body. All right, can you guys just like all the younger people sit together so I can... No, it's cool. You're all right there. I'll be right back, guys, okay? Verse 5, likewise... You younger people. Look at me pretend like I'm not one. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to make sure. All right. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and clothed with humility. 
For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Every generation has their own rebellion against those that came before them. I think it's a lot of how humanity has progressed, trying to do things better or differently than those before you, even within the family unit. When I, when I grew up, there were certain things that I said, oh, I know I want to be this way, like my mom. Or I, I, I admire that so much about my dad. But then there was also a list of, if I have kids, I am never going to do that because what these people have put me through. <laughs> and that, that, that plays its way out. One of the beauties of, of youth is not knowing any better because sometimes you have to try impossible things to do impossible things. And the Lord has used that Society has benefited from that. Because if you don't have a family <laughs> and a mortgage, you don't care if you go bankrupt. <laughs> and then what have, you start the internet, and now everybody's better. But within the body of Christ, both sides have to live in harmony. Scripture is really clear that those who are younger are to not only respect those who are older, elders in the sense of age, but those who are elders officially or indeed within the church. Because just as the pastors or the elders are not in charge, we're, I consider myself an under-shepherd. I, I, I don't run. I work for Jesus. Patrick works for Jesus. We are under-shepherds. We are here as ambassadors. Everything that is true of our life as Christians, the fact that we are servants, the fact that we are ambassadors, should not stop being true within official church offices. It should be exemplified. Because just like it says here, elders, pastors are called to be an example. So it should be more so the case, not less so. But then we have to ask the question, what does that look like? What does that look like here at Calvary Chapel, Wichita? I've spoken a little bit to how the elders function within this church. And if you have any more questions, we or any of the elders would be happy to, to have those conversations. And, and to tell you about why we do things the, 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 the way that we do and why we think that those are the most God-honoring way to do things. Because a lot of times that structure is what might separate 
one church denomination from another is how they set up their church government. We do things a certain way because we feel like it gives us the most freedom to be spirit-led and God-honoring. But that's not to say that it's the only way or it's the best way or that you can't make any other points from Scripture. But the relationship between generations is something that we have a heart for here at Calvary Chapel. As far back as my time goes, we used to do, we've, we've, we've done a number of things such as, I think we call them mentor events, but it was really an opportunity for some of the older men of the church, old from 25 to 85. Can you live past 85? Is that? Well, with the medicine. I got to start finding a job application. I have a lot of people, man. No. Uh, but mentor events, we built kites and birdhouses. This year, during our youth internship, every week, sometimes multiple times a week, we've reached out to different people in the body to sit down and have a conversation with the half dozen or so high school interns and just share what Jesus in the key of them looks like. Why? Because scripture is really clear here that that is important. It is so important, no matter which side of the fence that we are on. If you are more experienced, whether or not you're an elder in the church, you have a responsibility to the body of Christ. Even if you, even if, if Christ is still working to put you in the place where you could be an elder, or, or, or ladies, you, elder is a, a, a role that is reserved for men. But the responsibility to, to shepherd the flock that is among you is still 100% applicable. You can feed, you can tend, you can care, you can nurture. As a matter of fact, you do most of those things better than we do anyway. But the Lord uses the church to draw together generations and to use them for each other's benefit. There is a clear order. But it's not automatic. It's not easy. Because those things that we talked about at the top of service, someone has said all of those things at some point. Someone has thought something along those lines in, those old, in their own words. Someone has been bored to death by an old person. Or someone has seen just unbelievable ignorance and lack of common sense from a young person. And it's really easy to write them off. It's really easy to say, 
well, <laughs> we'll let time, the passage of time, sort of knock off their burrs and, and then they'll, they'll come to our side. We read in Matthew 19, verses 29 and 30. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit in eternal life. Many of us don't have the privilege to sit here with our children or to sit here with our grandparents or to sit here with our parents. But yet we call ourselves the family of God. It's easy to find people that we really get along with and, and, and affinity groups. And there's nothing wrong with that, but, but it says, shepherd the flock that's among you for us as a church. I think that's acknowledging the responsibility that we have to one another. And like any relationship, that's hard work. It takes effort. It takes effort to be a good employee. It takes effort to have a healthy marriage. It takes effort to nurture a long-lasting friendship. We should be more than acquaintances. Acquaintances, it doesn't take much effort. Some common experiences passing each other in the hallway. Yeah, we're acquaintances. We, we're friends. We're, we're, we're not called to be friends. We're called to be family. And you don't get to pick your family, right? We've, we've said that when we're fighting within our homes or with our extended family. You don't get to pick your family. This isn't an exception. If God has called you here, then you are part of the family of everyone else who God has called here. And whether you be younger or older, we have a responsibility to one another. So here's a couple things to ponder that might make that into a reality. Well, the first step is we have to convince ourselves that it's worth it. We have to hear the exhortation from Scripture this evening. Right? It's something that needs to be done willingly. Whether you're older looking to pour into someone younger or someone younger looking to open yourself up or submit to someone older, to set them over you, to respect them, to listen, to give them a say. It has to be done willingly, not by compulsion. We have to acknowledge that this is what we're supposed to do as a church. Just like I said, you don't get to pick your family. It's the ones that are entrusted to you. Shepherd the flock that is entrusted to you. And like shepherds, I think we have to go first. We have to guide. Whether you're younger or you're older, we can both answer the call to go first. Put yourself in a position to form these relationships. Put yourself in a position to form these relationships. Not everyone is going to have an opportunity to have a formal hour where some young people get to hear from an older person. It's not going to happen. It's going to happen after services like tonight. 
It's going to happen over a hamburger at the baptism. It's going to happen leaning on a lawnmower on a Saturday morning with the lawn crew. It's going to happen warming up after shoveling the snow in the winter over a cup of coffee. That's when these relationships are built. Don't let it all be about you and be patient. Don't do it for dishonest gain. As a young person, it's easy for me to say, okay, I acknowledge that there's wisdom there, so let me mine it like a strip mine and then I can be on my way. And just (laughs) tell me all the stuff I need to know so (laughs) we can be done with this and I can conquer the world. As an older person, it's easy for me to say, okay, well now sit down and listen so we can set things straight. Let me tell you all the things you're doing wrong. Let me tell you what. It's, I, it's what our flesh wants to do. Sit down and let me listen. Let me tell you what's up. Just tell me what I need to know so I can get out of here. It's, it's not about us. We don't do it for dishonest gain. We invest in relationships, and sometimes that fruit takes longer to mature than others. But because we're doing it willingly, not by compulsion, we don't feel like we need to measure the fruit or be in a hurry. We do it because we know God, who rewards, is pleased. I don't think the crown of glory is just reserved for people that may have had elder on their name badge seems very outside of God's character. I think the crown of glory is for those who shepherd those that God put in their life. Be that man, woman, old, middle-aged. God is a shepherd. We're made in his image. He has filled us with his heart. So that's the question we have to ask ourselves. How can we put on his heart? And how can we lean into the plan that he has for us as a church? Lord, thank you so much that you paid the most extravagant of costs to purchase this opportunity. Lord, your, your son's blood softened the ground that, that the church could put down roots. Father, it has been protected for centuries. And yet, here we are on a Wednesday evening in Wichita, Kansas. And, Lord, we just ask that you would show us, you would show us how to marry the truth of your word and the character of your heart with the reality of the church that you've called us to. Father, we we thank you so much for this body of believers. And as much as people and church has changed over the 2,000 years since You instituted it. Father, we know we need your help to do it right. And we want to do it right because we love you. We love you and we know that when we do things your way, everybody wins. It doesn't mean it's easy, but it means it's good because you're good. So the more we can reflect you and your will, the greater we benefit. And it's all to your glory. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.